All right, turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew 28. All right, so on and off throughout my life, um, I've kind of been a runner, going all the way back to high school. Um, And then basically for the 20 years after I got out of high school, I kind of ran for a little bit, and then I didn't, and then I did, and I didn't, I did, and then it was kind of like this on and off cycle. But for the last four years, um, I've been pretty consistent in running um, and working out on a, on a regular basis. Um, I get a monthly newsletter from the gym that I belong to, and it usually like highlights someone or has a quote from somebody. And I was uh, reading it the other day, and it's talking about this one lady. Um, and she says, I went from using my elliptical every day to coming up to the Renaud Center every day for two to three hours. I have the time. So I want to devote as much of it as possible to focusing on me. And I just stopped right there when I was reading that because I'm like, you know what? That is like the quintessential thing of our culture today. Focusing on me. Because it's all about me. We live in a very me, me, me culture that's very focused on self and very focused on individuality. And, and here's the thing for us. And what I want you to see today is the disciple of Christ is the exact opposite of that. It's not a focus on me at all. It's a focus on others. So look at Matthew 28. We're going to start in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, bless the preaching of your word today. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up. We want to see the truths of Scripture, and we want to apply them to ourselves, God. And we don't want to be uh, just speakers of truth, Lord. We want to be doers of truth. And we want to be ones that hear your words and enact them. So I pray, God, we would hear your word today and then put it into action. Make our hearts tender. Make our minds sharp to receive from you today, Lord. We love you. Amen. So a disciple is the exact opposite of being focused on self. It's actually focused on others. And one of the verses that I like a whole lot is in Philippians where it talks about consider others more important than who? Yep, than yourself. Put others' interests above your own. You know, if we just took that one verse and enacted that as a lifestyle, as believers, we we could go a long way. Put others' interests before your own. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 16, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, Lose your life and you find it. Listen, if you lose your life, guess what? You're not going to be focused on your life because you've lost it. And Galatians 2.20 says a similar thing. I have been crucified with Christ. Anybody know the end? I no longer live. Okay, If you want to focus on self, that's the verse for you, right? There's your I. 
But what's the I doing? I no longer live. Christ lives in me. It's about Christ. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and what he's doing. Not about me and what I want to do. So for us, being a disciple means we go against the grain of the culture. We go against the grain of the culture. And the culture is crowding in, and the culture is coming in, and we've got to push back against that. There's going to be constant temptations and trials. We've got to push back against that, especially in the culture today. Guess what? Our very flesh we have to push back against. You know what I'm saying? Our flesh itself, there's temptations. There's a war going on inside. And we've got temptations of the flesh that want to focus on us and what's best for me and what do I want and what do I want to do. A disciple is the exact opposite. Let's define disciple for a second. I talked about it a little bit last week. Why do we define words? We define words so that you can be clearly heard. Define the words so that you can be clearly heard. And when you look at this word, disciple, two images clearly come forth. Two images. The first is a learner. Okay? A disciple takes Jesus as his teacher and learns from him. Uh, when you look at biblical times, there's a, a manuscript from back then, one of the ancient documents. It describes a medical doctor learning from another medical doctor, and it uses the term disciple. The one doctor is discipling the other doctor. The doctor is learning from him. Uh, another document from back then has the same idea with someone learning to play the flute. And they're, they're the, the disciple of the one who already knows how to play the flute. What are they doing? They're learning how to play the flute. But here's what I think happens. See, a disciple is a learner, but uh, we think a learner, or we think like, duh, of, of course they're a learner. But here's the thing, that's not the case for all believers, it's not really a duh thing for them because they don't understand this point. That a disciple is a learner. A disciple learns. And too many people, they want emotions or jazz or party and not the hard work. Hear me now. Not the hard work of learning. Not the hard work of being a true disciple. Not the hard work of actually reading the Bible and studying it. So it's really not a duh thing at all. It's a real practical thing. And not everyone knows it. And not everyone practices it. So this is why we're defining what a disciple is, so we know and we can make sure our own lives reflect what it is to be a disciple. I want you to notice something in, uh, turn to Acts chapter 4, I want you to notice something there. Stay in Matthew 28, though, because we're coming back to it. This is Peter and John, and they're before the council, and they're kind of being grilled. And they say in verse 11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then notice what it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, how long were they with Jesus? About three years, right? 
three years, pretty much night and day. And what were they doing when they were with Jesus? They were learning. They were learners. And it was evident to all, these uneducated men, it was evident. Look back at that verse. They recognized that these uneducated common men had been with Jesus. Here, here they are standing before the council, testifying to the grace of God and what Jesus had done. Uneducated men, God using them. Now, I've met some uneducated believers, people that have never even graduated from high school. But guess what? When it came to Jesus, they were learners. They were learners. And it was evident to all. I've also met very educated believers with all sorts of degrees to their name, but when it came to Christianity, I mean, they didn't really care to learn. Right? They just had a little sip, a little sip of it, and they're good with that. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you must be a learner. And guess what learners do? They learn. And some people hate school and hate learning. Well, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to your faith, this is one area you must flourish. Okay? You can hate school all you want, but you've got to be a learner when it comes to Jesus. Now, me, when I first uh, was at college and got saved, like, it was like a whole new world for me. And suddenly I loved to learn. I didn't really love to learn before that, but I loved to learn because now the, the learning like, had a point. It wasn't like meaningless, and it wasn't just random information I was trying to put together to pass the class, but now I'm learning about God's world. And I'm learning about how he designed it and how he set it up and how it all works. So I'm getting a glimpse of God and how he works. And, and really all learning is learning about God and his creation. But some of you might not like it as much. I get that. But you have to be a learner when it comes to Jesus. Okay, that's the first thing. You have to be a learner. Second, you have to be a follower. You have to be a follower. A disciple follows Jesus. The disciple goes where Jesus goes. The disciple goes where Jesus tells him to go. And do you know who are great examples of followers? Little kids, right? I mean, think about that, parents, just for a second. Um, I loved it when my kids were younger. <clears throat> they followed me everywhere, right? Everywhere. They wanted, if you were in this room, they wanted to be in this room. You go to that room, they want to be in that room. You go outside, they want to go outside. You're going to the store, they want to go to the store. Then they become teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, they are great examples of followers. They follow, 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 follow. Listen, young parents, like, embrace that. Don't send wrong messages and constantly send them away. Embrace it like they want to be with you. That's a compliment. Um, today, if we want to like flaunt our academic achievements, like what do people do today? They usually talk about what school they graduated from. You know, I graduated from Harvard. I graduated from Yale. I graduated from Oxford, right? Or we'll say, oh, I got accepted into Stanford, or I got accepted into Princeton. We'll talk about the school. But in the first century, a Jewish disciple did not enroll in a school. He enrolled with a teacher. 
There was no schools, per se, for them to go to. The disciple was known by the rabbi that he was under. You are a student of this rabbi. You are a student of this rabbi. The disciples of Jesus were known exactly like that. The disciples of Jesus. So the disciples were students of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 4. In verse 18 it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, a disciple is a follower. Look at Matthew a couple chapters later, Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, that word follow. A disciple is a follower. We follow Jesus. We go where he goes. We go where he tells us to go. Listen, this discipleship model is powerful when we put it into action. Think about that with, with parents. Go back to parents again. Where do children primarily learn to be mothers and fathers? In the home, right? Right? Isn't that a little scary, parents? Right? It's kind of like, I mean, when you kind of fully realize that, like this big weight on you. And listen, many adults, probably all of us, know all too well the similarities they have with their parents. Their mannerisms, their body language, their little sayings or phrases, their thoughts on culture, politics, religion, sport, on and on and on and on. Why? They were discipled by their parents. Even if it wasn't formal, they were discipled. And <clears throat> you get to that point where you're like, I don't know what age it, and it, for me it was like my late teens is when it really started to hit me, and I would do something or I'd say something and I'd be like, oh, that's just like my dad, you know? Like I realized like the influence and impact. I'd probably been doing it for many, many, many years, right? <clears throat> Or that's just like my mom. It was a good thing, right, mom? <laughs> and their weakness is your weakness. Their strength is your strength. The areas that they are good on, normally they do a great job of, of passing on to you. The areas they're weak, normally they do a great job of passing that weakness on to you. It's a scary thing. Our parents have a huge impact on who we are how we think and how we act. All right? Well, what about in the church? Think to a second for the church. Where do people learn how to be disciples? From the pastors? Well, sure. From other disciples? Yes. They learn to be disciples from other disciples. Think about your own life for a second. Think of the people in your Christian walk who've impacted you. There's probably been people in your life who helped you along. Maybe it wasn't one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it was, but looking back, you can see that they had an impact on you. Those you put yourself around are those that you will naturally come to imitate. It's just the truth. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 warns us about the company we keep. 
It says in verse 33, bad company corrupts good character. So you want to be wise. In fact, Proverbs says, the wise walk with who? The wise. The wise walk with the wise. If you want to do well in your Christian life, if you want to flourish in your Christian walk, then you want to be around a company of people who you know are doing well with Jesus, who are growing. They're legit disciples. Why? Because if you're around them, it's like they're going to they're gonna lift you up and encourage you to where they're at. Even if you take, uh, for myself, you know, Pastor Vaughn, for example, great learner, great educated man. The guy reads, has probably read more books than all of us in this room combined, not even exaggerating. He's a reader. Great. And every time you're around, he's, he's reading this book, or he's, he's read that book, or whatever. What is that? When I'm around him, guess what I'm encouraged to do? Read and study, right? That's what he modeled. So the same thing is true with other believers. You see someone, and they have a heart, and they're really walking with the Lord, and they're legit. I, mean, I want to be around those people. It's like contagious in a good way. Right? It spreads. So the wise walk with the wise. Bad company corrupts good character. So all the way back, did you hold your place in Matthew? All the way back in Matthew, I want you to look back at this. Verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how many commands are in this verse? I mean, depending on how you want to count them, there's one, two, or four. Okay? There's go. There's make disciples. There's baptizing. And there's teaching. It's really two, uh, but even more specific, there's one primary one that stands out in the Greek text. Everything else falls under it. And the primary one is make disciples. Make disciples. It's the only word in the imperative there. That is our focus, is to make the disciples. So how do you make disciples? Well, we get the answer... Right there. By going. Go. How do you make disciples? By baptizing them. How do you make disciples? By teaching them. But I want you to notice what you are teaching them. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay? A lot of times, people leave out two key words there. They leave out the words... To observe, and they just read it, teaching them all that I've commanded you. No, it's if you want to make disciples, you have to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Because if you just teach them all that I've commanded you, you're making learners, which we want to do. That's part of discipleship, but we want followers. So you have to not just teach them all I've commanded you, teach them to observe it. Teach them to observe it. So it's more than just knowing, it's doing. It's not just knowledge, that's part of it, it's obedience. And if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, it's knowledge and obedience. You put into action the truth that you are learning. You're a learner and you're a follower. You follow Jesus. 
if our actions are grounded in something other than biblical beliefs, then we're going to have problems. They have to be grounded in biblical beliefs. If they're not, we will not continue the work God calls us to do. Biblical beliefs lead to biblical action. We learn the truth, and then we do the truth. A lot of people like learning the truth. Usually you fall into one of two camps, really. You either like to really learn the truth, and you struggle with doing them, like really living them out, or you are really good at doing, 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 and you struggle with learning. And you're not really that big into it. You want to be a doer. But guess what? You've got to be a learner and a follower. You've got to be a thinker and a doer. The two go hand in hand if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus. Are you hearing me? So we learn the truth, and then we do the truth. Why do we learn the truth? Because when the feelings fade, we're going to assume something's wrong if we're not grounded in truth. When the desire's no longer there, we'll just simply stop serving if it's not grounded in truth. If it no longer makes us feel good, we'll just move on if it's not grounded in truth. When it, when it gets hard, we'll just move on if it's not grounded in truth. And here's the thing. I want you to notice something. Jesus could have used all sorts of words right here. These are his, pretty much his last words on earth. But notice what we're making here. We are making, the call is to make disciples. Disciples. Um, the call is not to simply evangelize. Yes, that's part of the call. But it's much broader. It's much deeper. We're making disciples. And, and some denominations and some mission groups um, focus on getting people to, to raise their hands at a meeting or come forward at the end of a meeting, and, and then that's where it ends. But that's just the start. That is just the start. Okay, you've just begun the work. You haven't completed the work. If you've got some big uh, evangelistic campaign going on and, and you get 500 people to show up and 100 people raise their hands, like you had all that work leading up to the, to the evangelistic campaign. And you're like, oh, man, 100 people got saved. Woo, that was a lot of work. Praise the Lord, we're done. No. Like now you've really got some serious work to do. You thought planning that campaign was hard. Now you've got some serious work to do. Like the, the real, the legit work, okay? And <clears throat> I've been a part of organizations or heard about organizations, and some organizations, when they say they have they have 200 involved. They might really just have like 150. Some organizations might say they got 100 involved. They might have 70. Um, and churches are like that too. Okay, like how many members you got? A thousand. Well, how many show up on a regular basis? Like 400. Okay, that's the problem. Um, I want to. I want to be able to say, hey, we got we got 80, and we got 80 disciples. We got 80 people that are followers, and that are learners. People that are coming along the way. They're at, they're at every stage, walking with the Lord. And all mission activity must follow the pattern that Jesus set for us. Okay, what did the early church do? After 3,000, got saved. Right, Peter? Preaches. Acts chapter 2, what did they do? I want you to see it. Look at Acts chapter 2. The Lord's been having us turn there lately a lot. So you should take note. It says in verse 41, So those who received his word 
were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The 3,000 people get saved. What's their response? What, is, what, is, what do the early disciples do? What do the apostles do with them? Just let's send them back to where they came from. No. It says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So first, they devoted themselves. They wanted to be learners. They wanted to be followers. They devoted themselves. Then keep reading on. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, did you see that? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they devoted themselves and they were together on a regular basis. They needed that fellowship. They wanted that fellowship. They wanted to grow. They wanted to follow. They wanted to be around the disciples because they wanted to grow. They wanted to learn. They wanted to be a follower. And here's the thing. God wants each one of us to be a disciple, a true disciple, a flourishing disciple. God wants to see you bear much fruit. Much fruit. And let me give you a little encouragement. Um, you have to do sometimes a whole lot of sowing before you get to do the reaping. Right? You got to do a lot of sowing before you get to do reaping. So you can, you can be planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds. That, some of that fruit might take a long time to bear. But even that act is fruitious because you're doing what God wants you to do. You're being faithful. You're being a follower. So God wants you to flourish as a disciple. And here's the thing. Listen, if you're just, if you're just surviving, let's get you to a place where you're thriving. And if you're just treading water, let's get you to a place where you're swimming. All right? Because I want to see, I want to see us flourish. Flourish as a church, but in order to flourish as a church, we've got to flourish as individuals. Right? And here's the thing. Um, if you're struggling with that, if you're not doing so great with that, if you want to do better at that, guess what? We, we flourish in community. It's that th same thing of I want to be around, I want to walk with the wise. The wise walk with the wise. I want to be with the good company so that my character is encouraged by that. You know, when I'm, when I'm in life group and I'm around those people and we're sharing and different things are going on and people are sharing their struggles or they're talking about how God spoke to them through this word, I mean, that encourages me. And when I hear someone talk about how they got an opportunity uh, to, to witness to someone, like that encourages me to do the same thing. And, and so it's in community that we are encouraged to continue to do that. All right? That's why the belong really feeds into the flourish. Flourish as disciples. So if you don't think you're flourishing, hey, like, let's, let's come, let's partner together. 
Okay, these next few weeks, let's see if there's not some things that you can glean from some of these sermons. Maybe God speaks to you about a particular thing. And then, like, let's, let's talk together because I want to see you flourish. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you on the vine being fruitful. And that takes focus. It takes attention. All right? Anybody ever try growing a garden? All right, usually people usually start out great, right? And then like three weeks later, like your garden's all got the weeds and everything. You got to give it attention. If you want fruit, if you want vegetables, if you want things to grow and it to be the right things, there's a lot that you have to put into it. It takes some time, right? It was the same thing with discipleship, which, which is what I'll be talking about these next few weeks. But my heart is to see each one of you flourishing in your relationship with the Lord. When you flourish with him, then you'll flourish with others. When you flourish with him, you will flourish with others. If you have a legit relationship, you're walking with him, it is sound, it is good, you're in the word, you're walking, he's changing you, guess what? That's going to affect other people in a positive way. You can't but have it lived out through you. Amen? Amen? All right, so this is, this is a partnership. It's not really a partnership with me and you. It's a partnership with you and with one another and with this church. We partnership together as disciples to do the work of the Lord. Are you hearing me? All right, so let's partnership together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the privilege of being learners and followers of you, the High King. Thank you that through your Spirit we can walk with you. That through your Spirit we are empowered to live for you. That through your Spirit we can cast off sin. That through your Spirit we can have the fruit of the Spirit. We can be fruitful because we have the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray for each one of us, God, that you'd continue to fill us to live righteously. That you continue to fill us to say no to sin. To say no to our wicked desires, God. We want to be conformed to the image of, our, of, of you, of your son, Lord. We want to be conformed to his image. So let us say no to making our own little image. Help us say yes to being conformed to the image of your son. Father, do your work in us. Let us be a moldable vessel willing to be shaped however you want to shape us. And Lord, I pray that this church, that we, as members, Lord, would covenant together in discipleship. That we would covenant, Lord, to be the church that you want us to be, God. That you would flourish us individually and as a church. Not in a number sense, God, that's fine. I want to see, I want to be 
spiritual flourishing, Lord. That's where your heart is. So let us flourish, God. Through your Son. We thank you. Amen.